I am sorry for the washed out screen. I was playing with it just before services, hoping that some of the darker stuff would come out better, and I just messed everything up. So apologize for that. Um, real quick, so it was announced that we're having a potluck today, and if you would like to come to the potluck today, um, we've got these directions to our house, for those that don't know where we live, on the table in the foyer. So pick one up. You're welcome to come. Bring everybody and anybody you know. They're all welcome to come. Um, bring lots of food. <laughs> all right. So sometimes, sometimes the screen looks awful. Wow, okay. So you can't even see all the words. All right. Sometimes life is just, I mean, I'm going to have to fix this because I won't be able to, I won't be able to have a, oh, wrong way. I won't be able to have a sermon. All right, and there we go. Is that better? All right, sorry about that. Sometimes life is like the screen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just things don't always work out the way we want it to work out, right? And so when we, when we read God's word and we read passages like Philippians chapter 4, like be anxious for nothing, well, sounds good, Paul. You never have to go what I had, you never have to live through what I had to live through, right? And then we look at, well, well maybe he did. <laughs> maybe he actually had it really hard. So maybe I need to step back and wonder how he can say such things because sometimes I feel like maybe people don't understand when they tell me to buck up and cheer up and so on and so forth and to live life better. You know, it's such a positive attitude, and yet. He had some very difficult moments. So we're going to look at the standpoint of when life feels at times very, very difficult, what it's like to actually hear these words because it's hard. So think of having a dead-end job. Like I've got a dead-end job. And some of you may actually say right now you feel like you're in a dead-end job. Or maybe you, know, you feel all alone in your relationships whether it's marriage, boyfriend, girlfriend, or just nobody, just friends feel all alone. Or your mind somehow feels out of touch with what's going on. Maybe the way your heart, you know, like I, I, I feel this way, but I'm supposed to feel or think that way. It just doesn't seem to match up. So whatever the situation is, it just feels like it's out of control. Like I don't have a sense of peace within me. And so for the, for the record, anyone ever feel that way? Yeah. I would say a lot of us. At some point, maybe not now, but at some point in the past, maybe right now, maybe sometime in the future, you'll, you'll begin to feel this way. And so for some, it may become chronic because of whatever the circumstances are. So how is it that we go through life with these feelings? So here we are, we, we want to live a life full of meaning, right? So we look for someone. Someone's going to complete me, right? We do that because we, we want someone that will complete who I am. Wait, I thought we were supposed to be complete in Christ. So again, do we, does it jive up? Does it match, right? So th these are things that we go through. We try to find employment that fulfills me so we look for those kinds of jobs aimed at fulfilling that very passion right that's 
That's what we're told by many people, right? Go find a job that you're passionate about. Well, sometimes it's just enough just to find a job, you know, pay the bills. And, but we want that kind of fulfillment. Or in our lives, we're thinking, I want to grow as a person. You know, I've, I've only got so many years in my life. I want to grow. So therefore, I'm going to engage in those activities that improve my life so I can grow as a person. Here's the problem. The problem is, for many of us, we strive for these things, and we continue to grasp and grasp and grasp. Never in a long-term fashion ever feeling like we've got that fulfillment. Now, for some of us here, it may, like, this may not mean anything to you. You may feel like, yeah, life is good. It's all, I got the right job, got the right spouse, I got the right relationships, I got the right activities, I, have, I lack nothing. But that's not most people. Most people, we, we feel like we're lacking in one area or another, or we're looking for something and we never get it, right? So I met this, this doctor that actually posed this in light of... Um, a discussion of groups that, that are dealing with addictions. And he was mentioning how you, you have this void and you're always trying to fill that void with all these things, with people, with jobs or relationships, um, or if it's going to be activities. And maybe for some momentary um, time that you actually feel fulfilled until you don't. And then you're grasping for another activity, another relationship, another job that you're going to somehow get this right thing, whatever the thing is, and be finally fulfilled. And it just doesn't happen. At some point, we, we go through this chaos moment and wondering, is life meaningful? Is my life meaningful? You know, or is it pointless? And so we go through these things and we want to know these answers. And here is what the... The preacher said in Ecclesiastes 1. And so I want us to, to think through these things because eventually what we want to get is to that moment of peace. That's the end game, right? So if we can get that of what the Apostle Paul was speaking of in Philippians 4, then wonderful. But here's what the preacher says. He says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. I think we get it. <laughs> what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? All the things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. That just sums up life at times for so, so many. It's like, I just want to give up. Like, I, I strive, I've got goals for all these things, and, and then they come tumbling down. And so we get broken at some point, and we're wondering, you know, is there a moment in which I can enjoy life rather than the preacher's opening remarks? You know, everything just seems to be without meaning in my life. And so, again, then when, when that's the case, we don't have this peace within us. It's just like chaos. And again, there are very, very many individuals that experience 
this very thought right here and the things that we're going through. So at some point, we come across this moment in life, this crossroads moment, and we're wondering, how am I going to deal with this situation that looks and feels like total chaos because I want to have that peace that the Apostle Paul is talking about? How do we handle that? And what we often do is, generally speaking, one of these three things. We continue to stay in this chaos because even though we don't like it, we know it. And there is a real weird sense of safety because we're used to this. And then there is this, I'm going to fix it myself. And then finally, there's this mindset that we hear often in God's word, and we hear it from, from those who are believers of, of Jesus Christ. Well, we need to just turn it over to God. The problem is sometimes we don't know what that means. What does that really mean to turn it over to God? Like, don't, don't do anything, right? So we're going to look at these three areas, and then we'll finally get to that last point where we, I believe biblically and practically we can get to this peaceful moment. And, and when I say peaceful moment, it doesn't mean that life just gets easy. But what it does mean is we're able to get through those times that it feels so chaotic. So kind of join with me on this journey. And let's look at this, this thought process of what happens when we stay in the chaos. Because the, the one, there's one in my mind, person in Christ, who lives an amazing life. And what I mean by amazing is I would never want to live this person's life because this person makes choices that in my mind are absolutely crazy and insane. And, it, and this person's a Christian. This person is comfortable making bad decisions as a Christian and will call and saying, I don't get it. I don't understand why these things are happening to me. I'm thinking, you're making bad decisions over and over and over again. And you wonder why? But this person is comfortable living in this chaos, even as a child of God. The problem is, if you're just staying in the chaos, you have one of three things that can happen. For however life takes place, that chaos can, in fact, go away. It can for whatever the circumstances may be. Unfortunately, most of the times, because life is this way, the problem continues, the chaos continues, right? And so either it goes away, however it may go away, or at more likely it stays, right? Or it returns at some point. And oftentimes, the problem just gets worse over time. Just like in unchecked sore you know it's not been resolved medically and so it gets worse and worse that's the way this chaos affects people's lives it just gets worse and worse and worse while in the chaos but you don't know what else to do because this is all you know so that's one way of, of looking at it and of course that never brings peace you might get comfortable in the situation but you'll never have peace in that situation so that's one. The other one, this one's tricky because this is where I think most of us, we fall into this category. We, we want to fix it ourselves. Some of us 
in this room are control freaks. We've got to be the one to drive the car, right? We've got to be the one to, to fix the problem, and it's got to be done in a certain way. Some of you are going like this. We know what, because why is that? I ask that rhetorically. I honestly believe it's because God made us in his image, and, you know, God creates. We create. God solves problems. We solve problems. And so wanting to be independent-minded, wanting to be able to not be a, a slacker or not to be able to, to, to not solve things. And so we get into this independent mind mode, just like the rest of the world, and we want to solve the problems, whatever those problems may be. And, and in some cases, that may be fine and well. Here's a couple of problems with it before I actually look at these points here. Number one, we might get a sense that we are better than what we actually are. Like, I can solve all these problems. I'm amazing, right? Until I can't. And then all of a sudden, my view of myself comes crashing down. I'm not as amazing as I thought I was. Because now, I've lost control, and I don't know what to do. And I don't like this feeling of losing control. I've always been able to fix the problems. I've always been a problem solver. And I can't solve this one. That's part of the problem. And the other problem that kind of goes hand in hand with the first is, God is not in the picture. And for some of us, we might have God in the picture verbally, but not actively. There's a big difference. Like we can acknowledge God's presence, but really what we're wanting to do is keep God out of it and we want to solve it ourselves. I'll give you a for instance. In Genesis chapter 4, if you remember in, in this passage here, Cain and Abel offering their sacrifices to God... God accepts Abel's, but not Cain's. Cain gets jealous of his brother. And God says, whoa, Cain, hey, if you do well, great. But I'm giving you a warning because sin is crouching at the door right now for you. And you're going to have to rule over it. Okay. So God steps in and gives Cain the answer. Here's how you deal with your situation. And Cain says... Thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to do things on my own. I think the way I'm going to solve this problem is if I kill my brother, life is good now. And what they did was end up making more problems for Cain. Now, that's an easy one to get. But here's one that, that we might relate to even more readily. In, Abra in Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, 15, 17 following, there's this promise that God has given to Abraham, right? I'm going to make you a great nation. Your name is going to be great. Through you, all families of the earth are going to be blessed. All right, sounds good, God. And a few years pass by, nothing. I don't know how, God, you're going to work this blessing in my life. And a few more years pass by, same thing. Genesis 15 comes around, and God reminds Abraham of his promise to him. And Abraham's like... You know, I remember you telling me this, but all I have is servant in my household. He says, no, that's not going to be the case. I'm going to give you from your own loins a child. You know what 
the rest of the story is, because if we're any type of Bible students and we've read this passage a number of times, remember Abraham takes into account his own way of solving this promise. I know what I'm going to do. Hey, wife, let me have your servant. You know, or the wife basically says, why don't you have Hagar? And he goes, great idea. See, we try to solve things of our own, even though we know the will of God and know how to handle a certain situation from God's vantage point in some cases, but we forget his way of doing things. We forget to wait on his time. And we, again, sometimes we don't even know how to do that. And as a result, because God doesn't speak to us saying, hey, let me tell you what's going on. You know, we don't have a God that we can have this one-on-one conversation with the way you and I can. We might have his word and we might have, generally speaking, this will of his, but we don't have the details specifically like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you and then all families of the earth are going to be blessed through you. We don't have that, that kind of specific example right, for our lives. But Abram takes things into his own can and messes things up. And it's not until God says, I'm going to do this, that we see this miracle take place, right? And of course, here he is, he's 90 uh, 90 years old or near 100, and his wife is 10 years younger and way past childbearing years, and she actually does, in fact, give birth. He, He makes it work in a manner Abram could never have dreamt of. And so sometimes it works out when we try to solve our own problems, but sometimes it just makes things worse or makes it more difficult for us. So that's, that's the second one. The third one was the one that we, how do we turn it over to God? What does it look like when we have chaos in our lives? Or in this case, in Abram's case, it was not chaos, it was a blessing, but we still, we try to solve the problem or solve the issue of life on our own. And this one's the hardest because we have to give up control. This right here, this very point, how to give up control is next week's sermon. When we look at Genesis chapters 2 and 3. This is the crux of, of how we can have peace or how we continue in chaos. Okay, so we're going to look at that next week, Lord willing. So how do we get rid of this sense where, you know, God made us to make decisions, and how do we make decisions yet turn things over to him? Because we have difficulty reconciling those two thoughts. So many of us, we don't know what it means to turn things over to God. And so for us, is it, do we do nothing and go, okay, God, you take control? You know that song, Take the Wheel, or Let Jesus Take the Wheel? Okay. And you know what happens when we just do this? Nothing really happens. I mean, in in some cases, the way God works, he can literally do without us. I know that because he's God. He's created this entire universe without our even lifting a finger because we weren't created yet. So we get that one end of the extreme when it comes to our walk with him. And the question is, what does it look like then if, in fact, we're going to turn it over to God? And here's the answer, and it's a simple answer. It doesn't get into specifics. Like, you have specific questions about specific situations, okay? But this is a general answer that we have to apply specifically to our situations. So let's look at these. In the case of Abraham, at some point, he learned 
how do I get peace? Okay? So if you remember correctly, first he's given the promise, then he tries to assume how it's going to be fulfilled, and then takes matters into his own hands. But finally, when God actually steps in without him doing anything, and he finally trusted in God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness even before Ishmael was born, but really he learned it after Ishmael, not Ishmael, but when Isaac had been born, he realized God made it happen. I mean, he didn't lift a finger, literally, in in his case of, of trying to make it happen, okay? And so here he is, by faith, he understands how he's going to serve God and that through God, all families of the earth are going to be blessed by him. So now in, in Genesis chapter 22, God says to Abraham, verse 1 following, Abraham, I want you to take your only son and you want, I want you to offer him to me. Now, if we're without faith, the, th- the first thing we're going to do is going, uh, God, you promised Isaac. Now you want to take him away? If you take him away, how can all families of the earth be blessed? But here's the thing. God believed, I mean, Abraham believed in the resurrection. He truly did. He believed that if, if he were to give up his son and slay his son as a form of sacrifice as God had commended him, that God would raise up his son again. And that is why as they're walking along the way, Isaac says, Dad, I I see the wood, but where's the sacrifice? And he says, son, God will provide that sacrifice. Right? That's why that place is known as the place where God provides at this mountain. He learned to turn it over to God saying, hey, God promised God can make it happen. He says, slay your son to sacrifice him, to offer him up. I'm going to do it knowing that God will take my son and make him alive. Now, he doesn't say that in Scripture. doesn't say that. What he simply says is God will provide. And what he's referring to was the fact that, you know, he knew that God was going to make things happen work out so that his promise would not be null and void, but it would be fulfilled. And so he trusted in God, and he was at peace. If you notice the way he handles situations, like, son, I have no idea what's going to happen. I am just as nervous as I'll get out, full of anxiety, but God is going to provide. That's what he said. That's an amazing kind of peace that passes understanding, because for some of us in this room, It's illogical. What he was going to do would defy the very promise of God. So why would you do it, Abraham? Why would you take your son's life? Or you have all kinds of other peripheral questions. But in fact, Abraham was at peace. Look at Daniel. In Daniel chapter 6, after the decree had been made that if any person would not worship the king this way that they would be thrown into a den of lions for 30 days. But Daniel has been giving himself over to the Lord, been very spiritually minded, if we can put it in modern terms. And his trust is so completely in God that his life is, listen, whether I live or whether I die, I belong to my God. And he was okay. I mean, it's not like 
he wanted to be in a den full of lions, but he was okay with the decision. He was at peace with the decision. The scriptures do not give any indication of him full of anxiety. And so we see him going into that den with lions. Amazing. He trusted in God. And this is so much easier to, to read about than to actually live out. But he took that step in living it out. And when he did, God kept him alive. Miraculously. And of course, the Apostle Paul, as we get to his life, and we could have used other examples, but you'll get the point. Here he is. He is told, I'm going to send you out into the Gentiles, and you are going to suffer for my namesake. So now Paul knows what's up. He knows he's going to be suffering for the cause of Christ, and he does, in fact, go out to the Gentiles. And as he does so, we see a lot of passages like 2 Corinthians chapter 13 where he is left for dead, is shipwrecked, and all kinds of things that you wonder, when is he going to learn his lesson and stop preaching the gospel so he can live? Right? From, from our vantage point, when we read of biblical characters, it's okay for them to risk their lives. right? And it's okay for them to have this kind of faith in trusting in God. But when it comes to me, when it comes to my spouse, or comes to my children, or comes to my siblings, or comes to someone who I hold so dear in my heart, that's crazy talk. Until you get where these men, and men and women, not only in scriptures, but men and women that are professed believers in Jesus Christ today, live with that kind of peace. The greatest illustration that I remember personally living through, and I still feel this way, um, and I'll use this as an example, was when, when I was um, in Colombia, and I've used this many times, this, this illustration, but it gives me a sense of, of where we can be, if, if not at this moment throughout our lives. And going to an area that is overrun by paramilitary and I've been given the opportunity to share the gospel there. And I'm told, listen, in this area, a lot of Americans get kidnapped by the paramilitary. So I call the elders in Georgia and ask for the prayers of, of the congregation. Told Julie, if I remember correctly, we're asking for prayers. And one of the men says, are you crazy? Do you not even consider your wife and your children? And by the way, I was thinking of the very thing, my wife and my children. And I was also thinking why I was sent to Colombia. Last time I checked, I was sent there to go preach the gospel. And I could have easily died in an airplane crash, a car accident, falling off one of those cliffs in the Andes Mountains, or actually sharing the word of God. Or God could keep me alive in all those cases. Either one. And I basically said, why am I here? You've sent me to preach. That's exactly what I want to do. So long story short, I didn't go into that area because of other extenuating circumstances, but not because there was no desire. What I'm saying is you can be at peace in situations that are very difficult in your life. 
You can be. You put your trust in God. You may not see the wisdom of God. You may not see the vision of God in how to handle your specific situation. But what you can do is have the kind of trust to go through and push through what others would consider as crazy or chaotic decision-making. Or, for that matter, trusting in someone that you don't even see, someone you cannot even hear. That's why people of the world look at Christians who walk by faith and not by sight. But when you have that kind of trust, you can have peace. That's the very thing the Apostle Paul was referring to. So we're going to close by reading that section of Scripture one more time. And I want you to read this with me with all these thoughts in mind. And then look at your situation because you may be going through a time right now where life seems out of balance. I'm not at peace with situations that I'm in or my family is in or whatever it is. And then go back to the Apostle Paul. Consider all the situation. Consider that if he still has a mom alive and his mom does not have this kind of trusting faith, she is not at peace with her son who's nearly been killed on multiple occasions and probably saying to your son, son, stop whatever you're doing. You're crazy. Right? Or it could very well be like, um, oh, sir, Job's wife. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> I was thinking Lot for whatever reason, but Job's wife going, curse God and die. Right? In this situation. And yet, we have these words that bring us a lot of comfort and peace if we learn this kind of faith. So I'm going to read it again. Verses 4 following. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men because the Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, worthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly now at your last your care for me, which has flourished again, even though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, because I have learned in whatever state that I'm in to be content, to be at peace. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And it was through this mindset that he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's words of peace. That's the words that we can learn to be like the Apostle Paul or like Daniel or 
like Abraham or any other people that you look to have such great, great faith, it's not unreachable by any one of us in this room. It's attainable once we learn how to give it up to God by truly trusting in him. It will take faith. Next week, we're going to look at that dynamic. When we look at Genesis chapters 2 and 3 and see the result of what happens when, we, in fact, we do trust in God and when we don't. So hopefully, you'll be here for that lesson. But in the meantime, ask yourself this question. Is this you living like Daniel or like Paul or like Abraham? And if it's not, you've got a great template of this kind of faith that brings about peace in your life. And you can have that kind of peace. If you don't have it, that's why we're here as a body of believers, that we can pray with each other and for each other. And I know that means you need to be vulnerable, but that's why we have each other in the body of Christ. We can pray for each other. We can love on each other. We can help each other. And if you're not a child of God, this is the kind of peace God wants you to have, and he offers it to you, he invites you to have this kind of peace. And so if you are in need in any way, whether it's to, to have the kind of peace by learning this, maybe it starts off academically and then eventually it plays out in your everyday life, that's what God wants you to have. If you want to be a child of God, by all means, you can be buried with Christ and you will be now at peace with God because he will make you to be reconciled to him through the blood of his son. That's your invitation as together we stand and sing.